Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Hi, I'm Claire Murphy. This is Mamma Mia's daily news podcast, The Quickie. And in a moment, we're going to find out whether sending our foreign minister to Israel will have any impact at all on the war in Gaza. But first, here's what's happening in your world on Thursday, January 18. Catherine, the Princess of Wales, is recovering after undergoing abdominal surgery. The 42-year-old princess was admitted to the private London clinic on Tuesday, where she's expected to stay for up to two weeks before continuing her recovery back home at Kensington Palace. She's not expected to return to royal duties until at least March. In a statement, Kate has written that she understands the interest that this will generate, but hopes that the public understands her desire to maintain as much normality for her children as possible, and has asked that her medical information remain private. But less than two hours after that statement was released, it was also announced that King Charles will also have a procedure himself, a corrective procedure for an enlarged prostate. Sydney health experts are calling for parents who visited a Sydney shopping centre to keep an eye out for symptoms of measles in their children. A seven-month-old baby who was too young to be fully vaccinated for the illness contracted measles while travelling with family to the Middle East, where there's been outbreaks in several countries. The family then went to a shopping centre in Auburn in Sydney last Thursday, where the child played at a playground. Doctors warn that symptoms can take up to 18 days to appear after exposure and to look out for fevers, sore eyes and a cough, usually followed a few days later by a red blotchy rash that starts on the head before spreading to the rest of the body. Olympic cyclist Melissa Hoskins has been farewelled by family and friends at a private funeral in Fremantle, nearly three weeks after she was struck and killed by a car allegedly being driven by her husband. The life of the 32-year-old was celebrated in her hometown Wednesday afternoon with Rowan Dennis, her husband, and the couple's children in attendance. Dennis did not speak at the funeral but took his children up to the coffin where they placed rosemary on the casket. He's been charged with causing death by dangerous driving, driving without due care and endangering life after he allegedly struck Melissa Hoskins with his ute near their Adelaide home on December 30. He has been granted bail and will be back in court in March. New South Wales Premier Chris Minns says he will be attending January 26 official events, but says that the date is now becoming more about having a day off with the family. Public support for changing the date due to its connections to the colonisation of this land and the ongoing impact that has on First Nations people is growing, with the day's events now attempting to balance respect and reflection while also being a celebration. Starting at dawn, the Sydney Opera House will be lit up with Aboriginal artworks, followed by a smoking ceremony and the raising of both the Australian and Aboriginal flags on the Harbour Bridge. Chris Minn says he will fulfil his official event attendances, but in the afternoon will just be spending time with his family. That's your latest news headlines. Next, we find out after sending Foreign Minister Penny Wong to Israel whether Australia has any influence at all over the decisions being made by Hamas and Israeli leaders and what message it sends to us here at home.
This week, Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong got on a plane and flew to the Middle East. Politicians across the globe have been struggling to navigate the political landscape of the war between Hamas and Israel, where they'll often find themselves the target of supporters from both sides of the conflict, each desperately calling for them to see the damage and destruction the other has caused. That's the position Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong found herself in this week as she landed in the Middle East, where she prepared to walk a diplomatic tightrope. While in the region, the Foreign Minister will travel to Jordan, the occupied Palestinian territories to meet those impacted by Israeli forced occupation in the West Bank, and the United Arab Emirates to meet with other foreign ministers in the region. While in Israel, she'll meet with the families and survivors of the October 7 Hamas attack, which led to the deaths of 1,200 Israelis, many women and children, and which saw more than 200 people kidnapped and held hostage in the Gaza Strip. In Adelaide, before jumping on the plane, Wong told reporters that while we aren't central to the discussions around this conflict between Hamas and Israel, we are still a respected voice. And as a friend of Israel, we will continue to assert that international law matters. And as I have repeatedly said, we know what Hamas is. It is a terrorist organisation. We are a democracy, so too is Israel, and we hold ourselves to higher standards, and those standards include the application of international law. But just how much influence does Australia have in ending this war in Gaza? And how does it look to the world that we politically align with Israel when at the same time countries like South Africa have filed a case against them at the International Court of Justice, accusing Israel of breaching the Genocide Convention after now more than 100 days of intense airstrikes with just a six-day break in fighting to exchange hostages and prisoners that have taken the lives of more than 24,000 Palestinians and displaced millions of people who continue to shelter in the south of the country while bombs rain down around them daily. The application states that the acts in question include killing Palestinians in Gaza, causing them serious bodily and mental harm, and inflicting on them the conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction. Dr. Keith Suda is a global futurist and media commentator on national and foreign affairs. Keith, Minister Wong is stressing that Australia is in no position to demand a ceasefire in the war in Gaza. So why make the trip to the region at all? It is a bit of a mystery as to why she's making the trip, except that as Australia, we are expected to be seen in these dangerous places. But we have no major strategic involvement in that area. We got our fingers badly burned back in the rock. We have in recent years decided to focus far more on the Asia Pacific region, where there's concern about aggression from China. So there's no obvious reason why she should go. But I guess that her continued absence from not going would have too many questions being asked. So in a sense, she can't win. And she's made the trip. And it's a very difficult trip because it's got huge problems, not just for being in that region, but even domestically, particularly for the Labour Party. The Labour Party is very divided over the question of Israel and Palestine. You've got some very pro-Israeli Labour MPs, but also some very pro-Palestinian MPs. And so she's got a very delicate balancing act as to when she moves around and what she has to say. Now, she's a very gifted diplomat in that sense, 
So I'm not expecting her to make some of the blunders that you might get from other Australian politicians, but it's a very difficult trip for her to make. And we've promised $21 million so far to help with recovery efforts, which is just a drop in the bucket. What message does this trip, though, send to people back here in Australia? Because it seems like she is trying to really walk that diplomatic tightrope (laughs) between the two sides of this conflict. I think that, you know, she recognises the multicultural nature of modern Australia. We have people who are very pro-Israel, particularly older people, and we have a rising new generation of people who are very pro-Palestinian now. Um, And we see that at play, particularly in the United States, um, where the Democrat Party is badly divided over this issue. And so some pro-Palestinian voters may not vote for Joe Biden in November and enable Donald Trump to win in November. So it's a very divisive issue, and there are no clear ways out of it. Israel has said that it will continue its offensive against Hamas, which could go on for many more weeks, if not months. Some of us are wary that it could ever be completely successful against what is basically an ideology rather than a military operation. And Israel will proceed ahead and generate even more controversy one way or another. It's a very delicate act that she's got to try to pull off. Now, while we are questioning why Penny Wong is making this decision to make this trip now, she's, of course, not the first Australian politician to head to Israel since the October 7 attack. Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison teamed up with former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson back in November to also tour just Israel at the time and were very clear in their support for Israel in this conflict. Why did Scott Morrison make that move? Yes, I think that Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson, they just come from a very conservative conference held in Europe and they made that journey as a show of solidarity towards Israel because they're reflecting the fact that you've got older voters who are very sympathetic towards Israel. So they thought it would be a smart move to make. I think that amongst younger people, there is now more concern about Palestinians and the plight of the Palestinians. And so I'm not sure that it's a move that all Australian politicians would want to copy. Of course, that support for Palestine has hit the International Court of Justice just recently with South Africa, putting together a move to call out Israel for conducting a genocide from their perspective. Some countries have supported South Africa, but should Australia be supporting South Africa in this move? I think that we have to wait and see how the international case goes. It's highly controversial whether or not genocide is actually being committed. That's what the court's got to try to sort out. And we do have an Australian, by the way, serving on that court as one of the judges. And so it'll be interesting to see how the court works that out. I think Australia's position at the moment is that it's keeping a close eye on the case, and I think that's probably sufficient. We've, as you mentioned, added some more humanitarian aid since Penny Wong's visit began, an extra $21 million. I think it puts us at about $46 million in total now, which seems like a lot, you know, for those of us who don't have millions of dollars. But in the big <laughs> scheme of things, how much impact does $46 million from Australia actually have in this region right now? Well, it's going to emergency relief and clearly people who are suffering need that emergency relief and we need much more of it. But the overall rebuilding of Gaza, however that's going to be done, will run into billions of dollars. But immediately there is this task of just keeping people alive. We've got a cold winter coming in and people will need food and shelter. 
And so the money that Australia is giving will go to that immediate relief work of Red Cross. We ask this of you pretty much every time that we have you speaking on this topic, Keith, but where are we going from here in this conflict between Hamas and Israel? It doesn't seem like there's an end point making itself clear at this stage. Are we seeing just a never-ending conflict like we've seen in Ukraine? Well, that's the fear that we've got, that Israel has gone into Gaza. We're not clear what the end state will be. There are a number of options. Will Israel resume control over the Gaza Strip, which they left 20 years ago? Will they want to reoccupy the area? The Israeli government says generally no. Will they want to have a new sort of Palestinian authority to run it? Clearly, it can't be trusted to Hamas. But will you be able to find other Palestinians elsewhere who will be willing to run that authority? Or three, could there be some sort of international operation, perhaps coordinated through Jordan, to try to settle things down in Gaza? There's no obvious end strategy to all of this, which again is one of the worries about modern warfare, that when you go into a war, you need to have a clear end game towards which you're working. And we can't see what Israel is working towards. Thanks again for tuning into The Quickie today, friends. Feeding your mind is what gets us up at this ridiculously early hour every morning. If you want to hear more about this story or anything else that's captured your attention in the news cycle that you feel needs just a little bit more explanation, you can hit us up at thequickie at mamamia.com.au with your story suggestions. The Quickie is produced by me, Claire Murphy, along with our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. 